Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be, Who Do You Say I Am? Who Do You Say I Am? Brothers and sisters, the subtitle will be Enemy of the State. Okay, we're going to deal strictly with the Messiah today, brothers and sisters, uh, front to back. Uh, our church, though we are Israelites, our number one focus is not being an Israelite. It's being the Israelite. It's about the Messiah, brothers and sisters. And we're going to show you, we're going to show you what the disciples were dealing with, with the brothers and sisters during the time of Christ were dealing with as it regards to believing in the Messiah, brothers and sisters. Because as we believe today, everyone knows who he is. It wasn't that way then, brothers and sisters, okay? So before Christ came, you had to believe that he was coming. After Christ came, you have to believe that he came. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? So it was completely different. Let us, let us go back in history to the book of Matthew during the times of the Messiah. Let's go to Matthew, the 13th, um, excuse me, the 16th chapter, the 13th through the 18th verse. Matthew 16 and 13. When Christ came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, What did he say, brother? But whom say ye that I am? Look at that, brothers and sisters. I need you to closely examine Christ's teaching technique, brothers and sisters. He often asks questions to teach and compel people to think. This is how he taught, brothers and sisters. Implement this, brothers and sisters. Implement this when you're out trying to, to, to do some fishing, brothers and sisters. Okay, can you read that again, brother? 13. When Christ came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, brothers and sisters, look at where he is. He's in Philippi, brothers and sisters, Caesarea. Now, brothers and sisters, this question was dangerous to ask during this time. Why, brothers and sisters? This this. This was a politically charged time during, you know, as Christ is living. And Peter's answer could have been taken as a declaration of war against the Roman Empire. This place was named after Caesar, brothers and sisters. So he's in the heart, right, of, of, of the Roman Empire asking this question. Let's read that one more time. 13. When Christ came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art, thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, according to these passages, brothers and sisters, the, the reincarnation was a ubiquitous ideology amongst our people. Because if he's John the Baptist, or Elias, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, that means he was reincarnated. You see this, brothers and sisters? See, this was what was going on during that time. Continue, brother. 15. He said unto them, 
But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the children of Israel were far from monolithic concerning their theology of who the Messiah was. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say this. Some say that. What did Peter say, brother? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. See that, brothers and sisters? Now, he asked them to do what? To make a distinction, right? The people say many things, but what do you say? Can you read 15 one more time, brother? Verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see this, brothers and sisters? It all started with that one question. Whom do people say that I am? And then he followed that up with, whom do you say I am? Right? So the nature of the question highlights the mystery of the Messiah's identity, brothers and sisters. It's clear here. People did not know. Everyone had their own ideology. Everyone had their own perspective or perception, brothers and sisters. Peter had the truth. Let's go to Matthew 22. Let's go to Matthew 22, brothers and sisters. We're going to start at the 40. First verse, the 41st through the 46th verse. Matthew 21, verse 41. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, brothers and sisters. We're going to Matthew 22 and 41. Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Christ asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. And he said unto them, How, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. Look Sit at this closely, brothers and sisters. This is now this is two days before his crucifixion. Brothers and sisters, and his authority is being relentlessly challenged by religious leaders, brothers and sisters, during this time. This is two days before the day. Can you read 41 one more time, brother? Verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Christ asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying... Now, this is key, brothers and sisters. When, it's, when it says, saying, what think ye of Christ, he's not referring to himself, brothers and sisters. Christ means anointed. So Christ is asking them, the Messiah that we all know was prophesied to come, whose son is he? He didn't ask, who, whose son am I? Because they don't believe he's the Messiah, Right? So we had to make a clear distinction here. He's asking them, what do you think, Pharisees? 
whose son is the coming Messiah or the prophesied Messiah? Who is, you know, whose son is he? Can you read that one more time, brother? 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Christ asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, <clears throat> How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, brothers and sisters, this, what you would call a scholastic dialogue, reveals the truth that the Messiah is a person of greater significance than just a descendant of David. Can you read 44 one more time, brother? Well, actually, let's read 43. 43. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? Look at, the, look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at this. Because according to their perception of prophecy, the Messiah was foretold to be the son of David, not the son of God. You can't find the Messiah being the son of God in the Old Testament. You can only find him coming through the loins or the lineage of who? David the king. David, our king, brothers and sisters, take a look, go back in there and see, brothers and, brothers and sisters, if anywhere it, it says that, you know, the coming Messiah will be the son of God. So Christ is breaking it down here. He's getting ready to catch him, right? Let's read 40. Let's go back up because I want you to catch this, brothers and sisters. Can you read 42, brother? 42. Saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him. The son of David. So they knew right. They knew right, brothers and sisters. He said the, the Messiah that's prophesied. Whose son is he? They said the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at Christ. What did he say, brother? If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? See that? So the issue Christ raises is this, brothers and sisters. Why does David refer to his descendant as Lord instead of son? See this? Remember, the question is, whose son is the Messiah? Right? Whose son is the Messiah? They said, the son of David. And then Christ asked, verse 45, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So this is clear. The point is that he was no ordinary son. He was superior to David. That's why David called him Lord. What, what, how did they respond, brother? 46. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Look at that. See? So no matter how well read they were, Christ <laughs> Christ understood much more than any of those brethren. And these were the Pharisees, so they were some of the most educated concerning the law and the prophets, brothers and sisters. But when Christ asked, what, what question did he ask, brother? If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. He stumped him, right? From that day forward, they understood they couldn't mess with him. They understood that they could not mess with him. 
Now, brothers and sisters, to understand what Christ is saying, we need to carefully examine Psalms uh, 110. Because Christ is speaking of what? He said, well, why is David calling the Messiah Lord if the Messiah is coming through his loins? You see this, brothers and sisters? This is what Christ was asking here. The Messiah is the son of David. Well, why is David calling him Lord, which means master or owner, right? Why would David be calling his son owner or master? Let's take a look. Let's go to Psalms 110, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Psalms uh, 110. And let's read verse 1. This is what Christ was referring to. Psalms 110 verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Look at this, brothers and sisters. <laughs> okay, look at this. There's a... Actually, look it up, brothers and sisters. Pull up Psalms 110 and 1. Because there's two lords here. One lord is uppercase. The other is lowercase. You actually need to see this, brothers and sisters. Go into your King James Version Bible, whether it's the physical copy or the, you know, the Bible app, and look at this, please. Can you read that again, brother? Psalms 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Brothers and sisters, this psalm was widely recognized as a psalm referring to what? The coming of the Messiah. This whole, this, this is what this psalm was about. So notice the first Lord is in all capitals. The second Lord is not. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord. See, the Lord, capital, said unto my Lord, lowercase. So the capital, the capitalization or lack thereof does what? It gives us a clear distinction between these two existences, brothers and sisters. Look at this clearly, because Christ accentuates a problem in their theology. Look at, read that one more time, brother. Verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So how do they account that David called the Messiah his Lord? How could the Messiah be David's son and also his Lord? Do you see this, brothers and sisters? He's speaking of the Most High. The Most High saith unto Yeshua or Christ, sit thou at my right hand. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. You see this brothers and sisters. And you know. If you're just coming into the truth. Brothers and sisters. This is probably not the best place to start. Okay. Because this is a, this is meat. Brothers and sisters. Okay. And you know. Some people need milk. So if, if this is too tough. Brothers and sisters. If you don't yet have tea. We have much milk. We have much milk. Brothers and sisters. This is for those were able to ascertain a higher level of a higher level or understanding of, of the Bible, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time. Psalms 110 and 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord saith unto my Lord. The Lord is the most high. Saith unto my Lord is Christ. Now, why is David calling his own son Lord? The Lord said unto my Lord. 
Why is he calling the Messiah my Lord? If we all know that he came through the loins of David. Let's see. Let's see. Let's go to Romans 1 and 3. Let's go to Romans 1 3. Because see, this is what Christians, this is what Christians need to understand, brothers and sisters. They don't understand the Messiah. They don't understand Christ. The people walking during that time didn't even understand Christ. The Pharisees didn't understand Christ. The disciples didn't understand Christ. They didn't know who he was. So for that three years, brothers and sisters, there was a time where they just thought that he was a prophet. They didn't know he was the Messiah, brothers and sisters. Peter understood, but most of the other brethren did not. Now, along the way they did, but initially they didn't know who he was. They just felt the, essentially the Holy Spirit saying, get with this brother. This brother have the truth, okay? Now, they didn't know that this was the Messiah, right? Can you read that again, brother? <clears throat> Verse 3, excuse me. Romans 1 and 3. Concerning his son Christ, our Lord, our, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. According to the what? The flesh. According to the what? The flesh. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. According to the what, brother? The spirit of holiness. Now, this is key. Because these verses perfectly explain the practical application of the fact that our Messiah is both son of David and Lord over David. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's read three one more time. Three. Concerning his son Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, brothers and sisters. When you look up this word seed, it says sperm. Okay? Yes, that's actually in the Bible. Pull up that word seed in your strong concordance and you'll see it says the sperma of David, according to the what, brother? According to the flesh. Okay, so here we see that what? Christ was the son of David, but... And declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit. Mm, brothers and sisters, Paul opens this letter with what? With the revelation of the Messiah's duality as it pertains to his identity. Yes, he came through, his flesh came through the son of David, as the son of David. But his spirit came directly from the Most High. His spirit was the one in the beginning. You see that? This is how he's son of God and son of Christ. Uh, excuse me, son of David. You see this, brothers and sisters? Christians, they don't even get this, right? They don't even know that Christ was a son of David. They don't even know Christ was a son of David. They don't even know that there was a promise to David that the Messiah would come through his loins and establish an everlasting kingdom on David's throne. They don't even know that, brothers and sisters. See, this is what we're trying to teach Christians. Christ had a physical father, okay? He was made of sperma, just like Brother Corey and I, just like you, brothers and sisters. Now, that doesn't take away that he's the son of God. Why? Because he's the son of God through the spirit, not through the flesh. Okay, brothers and sisters, let's read that one more time. Verse 3, concerning his son, Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. According to the what, brother? The flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness. This, according to what, brother? The spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. See, so Paul is 
setting the stage to prove our redemption was done legally and would be verifiable in the highest courts, brothers and sisters. You see this, brothers and sisters? Because how could he die for us if he wasn't the son of David? You see, if he doesn't have a father, that means he's not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. Because why? Your father, where the seed comes from, determines your nationality. Okay? Because the living organism is in the man. It's not in the woman. The woman had the egg. But the living organism, what moves, is actually in the loins of the man. See this? So you can't sit here and say that Christ didn't have a physical father when this is telling you, Romans, the first chapter, the third first verse, that he's coming through the seed of David. What does that mean? Brothers and sisters, go to Matthew, the first chapter, and look at the lineage. It goes all the way down from David to Joseph, his father. Okay? Joseph was a son of David. Okay? Look at this closely, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 2 Samuel 7 and 12. We're going we're gonna to jump around, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Who Do You Say I Am? Who do you say I am? 2 Samuel 7 and 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. How long? Forever. How long, brother? Forever. Look at that. See this? According to the text, the Most High specifically promised a hereditary monarchy for the house of David, brothers and sisters. Do you see this? Please examine this closely. Brothers and sisters, let's read 12 one more time. Verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee. Thy what? Thy seed after Remember, thee. Remember Romans 1 and 3 said concerning his son, Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David. You go from math, excuse me, Romans 1 and 3 to 2 Samuel 7 and 12, brothers and sisters. Verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of, out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, brothers and sisters, it's clear that the Pharisees understood the prophetic nature concerning the coming Messiah's family lineage. They understood that, brothers and sisters. Why? Because there was no New Testament at that time. They were masters in the law. Okay? That's who they were. They were experts, so to speak, in the Old Testament. So they understood prophecy said, we're reading it here, that the Messiah would come through David's loins. Okay? So whoever the Messiah claimed to be would have to be from the lineage of David and be able to trace that back. It does that for you in Matthew, the first chapter. It goes from Abraham all the way down to David, all the way down to Joseph, Christ's father, on to Joseph. So we wanted to show you all throughout the Old Testament, we see this promise of a royal line and the most highest provision for his people through a coming king. Christians have to open up the Old Testament again because it's hard, you can't understand the new without the old, brothers and sisters. 
You can't. We're showing you here that according to 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, there was a promise to David that the Messiah would come from his bowels and his kingdom would be established forever. Forever. Let's go to 1 Timothy, brother. Follows, brothers and sisters, we're going to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, the 16th verse. This last verse in the chapter, brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy 3 and 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mystery of what, brother? Of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, Received up into glory. Brothers and sisters, this statement begins by saying that the greatness of this mystery is beyond dispute. Can you read that again, brother? 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to examine these three contrastive uh, couplets. Look at it closely. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. The first couplet does what? Contrast the flesh and the spirit. Can you read that again, brother? God was manifest in the flesh, the flesh, justified in the spirit, the spirit, seen of angels and preached unto Gentiles. So the second contrast is angels in men. Seen of what, brother? Seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles. Gentiles are men. That's man, right? Believed on in the world, received up into glory. So the third contrast is what? Earth and heaven. Can you read that part again? Believed on in the world. Earth. Received up into glory. Heaven. See that? So Christ was a perfect declaration, an illustration of the nature and character of the Most High God in person. You see this, brothers and sisters? All the way. We're going to use the Bible to prove His greatness, brothers and sisters. Because what Christians do, Israelites do the same thing. Some Israelites, most Israelites, most Christians do, is they just, they're not concerned with the process, just the end. So we know he died on the cross for our sins. That's the only thing that matters. Is it? Christ never preached his, he never preached his crucifixion. He never preached that. That, that was not what Christ, Christ never taught that, brothers and sisters. So you can't come some 2,000 years later and change Christ's understanding, Christ's doctrine, brothers and sisters. So all these, all, everything that led up to what? To the crucifix, brothers and sisters, matters. Christians don't even know why it was done. They just say, well, listen, I know he died for my sins. That's it. No, we're not going to do that. Why? Because we're the custodians of God's word, the children of Israel. Okay. We are the custodians, and we're going to make sure that he's well understood, brothers and sisters. As Israelites, that is our number one, our number one concern. Not getting white people to believe we're Israelites and all that. I can't, I'm past that stage, brothers and sisters. If, if some other nation don't want to believe we're Israelites, so be it. I don't need, we don't need your validation. See, when you come into knowing your Israel, you stop needing other nations' validation. See that, brothers and sisters? We are who we are. Sometimes I wish we weren't because we wouldn't have went into slavery and other things.
But we are who we are, brothers and sisters. And that don't change because somebody don't agree, whether they're Israelite or not, because you have Israelites who don't even agree with that, right? You got black people who don't even agree with that. And that's okay. That's okay. Let's read that one more time. First Timothy 3 and 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. This is the mystery, brothers and sisters, that God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is speaking of the Messiah. Remember, we already read Romans 1 and 3. He came to the seed of David in the flesh. He was the son of God through the spirit. See that, brothers and sisters? We're not saying that Christ was just some regular man. We're not saying that. We're saying that his flesh, he had a father, okay? That's that's number one. So if you're trying to say that Christ didn't have a physical father, that's a lie. And you cannot prove that. Because it just told us that he came through the seed of David. That had nothing to do with Mary. Mary does not have seed, okay? And she's not a, a son or daughter of David. She's not a Jew, brothers and sisters, okay? She's a Levite. So she didn't even come through, through you know, the Jews. She came through what? Through Moses' lineage, through Aaron's lineage. So you can't go there either. You can't go there either. Let's go to John, brother. Let's deal with this mystery of godliness. It's a mystery. The Bible says you, you can't even dispute that. Because most people don't understand it. Israelites don't understand it. Christians don't understand it. You can only get this through the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the light was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Can you read one uh, verse 1 again, brother? Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Read that part again, brother. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of John opens by revealing that the creator of Genesis chapter 1 is none other than Christ himself. You see this mystery, brothers and sisters? How is that possible if we know he wasn't born until Mary was on the scene? You see this, brothers and sisters? This is what the Pharisees didn't understand. They're like, how is he saying he's the son of God when the Messiah was supposed to be the son of David? They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Most people don't understand it now, brothers and sisters. See, so we're not trying to put Christ, you know, on the level of just some mere man. That's why we went here. We wouldn't even go to this scripture if we thought that Christ was just a mere man. Yes, he was flesh and blood through the seed of a man, but his spirit was the spirit that created the earth, brothers and sisters. Everything on it, according to John. See? 
So two things can be true, brothers and sisters, in this case. Two things can be true in this case. We don't have to be an extremist. You got two extremes. People are saying, well, no, he didn't have a father. Joseph was his stepdad. I'm like, what scripture is that? What scripture says Joseph was his stepdad? Or you'll have some people just say, well, no, he was just a regular man. See, so there's two extremes. We're going to help you find the middle, brothers and sisters, through utilizing the Bible, through the lead, uh, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're going to help you understand today, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time, brother, from, the, uh, from verse 3. 3. <clears throat> All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Brothers and sisters, note that John 1 begins with a series of highly abstract symbolic statements. John 1 should be, by all rights, the primary passage through which we interpret Genesis, the first chapter. Okay, brothers and sisters, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring it out. You need John, the first chapter, to actually understand Genesis, the first chapter. So we'll read 1 through 5 again, and then we'll go to Genesis 1. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let us show you. Why do we say that in order to interpret Genesis 1, you need John 1? Let's go there. Let's go back to the first scripture in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Genesis 1 and 1. We'll have Brother Corey read 1 through 5. We read John 1 through 5. Now we're at Genesis 1 through 5. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, brothers and sisters, we've already said that in order to properly interpret Genesis 1, it must be done through the lens of John 1. You'll see why. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, brothers and sisters, the first two verses are a general statement of what God did, okay? That's just, this is generally the first two verses. Can you read the first two again, brother? Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Mm. And God said... What did he say, brother? Let there be light. And there was light. What did he say, brother? Let there be light. And there was light. Brothers and sisters, the Most High spoke his creation into existence. See that? <laughs> this is a huge truth to understand. What did God say, brother? This is the first thing that was created. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So according to the text, the first spoken creative act was to speak forth what? Light into existence. See? That was the, the first recorded spoken creative act. It was spoken. Remember, John said what? Christ was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, right? The Word was God. The Word. 
<laughs> created all things. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Mm. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. After dividing the light from the darkness, we find what? That it is only the light that he pronounced as good. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 3. Or verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good. Mm. And God divided the light from the darkness. Mm. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning was the first day. Brothers and sisters, the pa this, this passage, is it links flawlessly to John chapter 1. Because it told you that Christ was the light, he was the life of men. You link that with Genesis, the first chapter. Do this, brothers and sisters. Go to Genesis 1 and John 1. Okay, brothers and sisters? Now, you're missing a part, though. The passage that brings this entire discussion full circle is where? It's the latter bookend passage found in Revelations, the 21st chapter. In order for all this to make sense, brothers and sisters, you have to go to Revelations, the 21st chapter, the, 24th, the 21st verse, okay? Let's read it one more time. Let's read five one more time, brother. Verse five. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning was the first day. Look at that. The evening and the morning were the first day, okay? God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Let's go to Revelations 21 and 1. We'll start at verse 21, excuse me, at verse 1, just to get the context. The meat of what we want is in verse 23. We'll go there also. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Jump to verse 23, brother, please. 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at this. The implication is that the sun is only a substitute for the unveiled glory of the Messiah. It tells you that during this time, there will be no need for the sun. Now, remember, Genesis told us what, brothers and sisters? Genesis told us that there was light before the sun was ever created. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Let's just go back there. Let's go back to Genesis 1 because you need to see this. Let's go to Genesis 1, where he says, let's read, um, let's read verse 3, brother. Genesis 1 and 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the, <clears throat> and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. In the darkness he called night. Now, right there. Now, brothers and sisters, when you go down uh, to, let's see, verse 11. One second. All the way down in verse 14. The sun is created in verses 14 through 16, brothers and sisters. Okay? Let's read verse 16, brother. Verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day 
and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Brothers and sisters, look at this. So the sun wasn't created until verse 16. He said, let there be light in the beginning, right? So what was the light? <laughs> what was the light? Because verse 16 is where you get the sun. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, there was a great light well before the sun. See? Now let's go to Revelations 21 and 23. Now you can understand this. Revelations, the 21st chapter, the 23rd verse. What's that say, brother? Revelation 21 and 23. And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Who is the who is the light? The Lamb is the light thereof. Who, who is the light, brother? The Lamb is the light thereof. So the implication is that the sun is only a substitute, brothers and sisters, for the unveiled glory of who? The Lamb, the Messiah, Christ, Yeshua, whatever you want to call him. You see that, brothers and sisters? How, how do we know? Let's go to John 12. Let's let Christ tell you this. We'll let Christ say this. John, the 12th chapter, the 46th verse. <clears throat> John 12 and 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. You see that, brothers and sisters? Notice, Christ doesn't say, I had the light. Rather, he says, I have come as the light. Take a look at that. Verse 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. See, so the text implies that he had a function as light before he entered the world. Remember that, brothers and sisters? And God said, let there be light. See, God said, what God said was actually the Messiah, brothers and sisters. See, that's key. That's key, brothers and sisters. Christ said, I come as the light into the world. So he said, I didn't become the light. I came in as the light. I was the light before I came in. See that? Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? How is all of this going on, but he's supposed to be the son of David? <laughs> See? This is the mystery of godliness, brothers and sisters. Romans 1 and 3, one of the most important scriptures for theology, right? In regards to Christ and who he is, who his father is. Christians have never seen that scripture. I'm sure of it. They've never seen Romans 1 and 3 and Romans 1 and 4. We're showing you that we don't believe at the commandment keepers church that Christ is just some regular man. But we're also not going to allow you to teach a pagan doctrine where Christ didn't have a physical father. That's not in the Bible. That's pagan. Do you know how many other, you know, Egyptian stories and, and Persian stories have, you know, the Madonna and child where this this God or this son had no father. This woman just got pregnant through the rays of the sun or something like that. That is highly deceptive and it's pagan and it's against God, brothers and sisters. It's against God. See, Christians 
have been taught to believe that what makes Christ special is how he was born. We're telling you, no, sir. Christ was special before he was born. We're reading it right here. Read that, brother, please. 46. 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. See, so we believe in Christ. We don't believe in he had no father. What makes Christ special is that he was there in Genesis 1. Not that he, how he was born. That didn't make him special, brothers and sisters. And Christians have to get out of that mindset. Christ was special well before Matthew, the first chapter, brothers and sisters. Well before there was anyone named Joseph and Mary. Well before there was any man named John the Baptist. Well before there was any man named Peter or Simon Barjona. See? We're taking it back. Let's go to John 5 and 39, brothers and sisters. Let's go there. What does Christ say here, brother? John 5, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Christ invites men to search the scriptures, for they testify to him inasmuch as Moses. Look at what he's saying. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 39. Search the scriptures. Now that's key. What scriptures is he referring to, brothers and sisters? Because this, there was no New Testament. There was no epistles of Paul. There was no revelation. None of that was there, brothers and sisters. What scriptures is he referring to? The Old Testament. See? Verse 39. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. According to the text, the true value of the scriptures is in their witness to Christ. Brothers and sisters. See? So, Christ clearly demands that the Old Testament be interpreted in light of what? Revealing him, brothers and sisters. He said, they are they, are they which testify of me, the scriptures. What scriptures? The whole Old Testament testifies of the Messiah. So don't give us this virgin birth garbage. He's, he, you know, he's great because how he was born. John is telling you, John, the fifth chapter, the 39th verse, Christ's words is telling you that well before I was born, well before I came out of my mother's womb, <laughs> the scriptures were filled with testifying of me well before that. And we're going to go to it today. Let's go to Daniel, brother. The third chapter, the 16th through the 26th verse. Let's see. He said the Old Testament, what? It testifies of him. Well, let's see. Is Christ a liar, brothers and sisters? I think not. I think not. Daniel 3 and 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, we know this. We know this story, right? Thrown in the fiery furnace, right? For not serving, for not doing what the king wanted. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king. That we will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage or visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is showing his anger. He's saying, heat up the furnace seven times more, right? You can't do that, <laughs> okay? The, the furnace don't go up any higher than it already is. But it's just showing you his indignation, right? It's showing how he's feeling at this time. Verse 20. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning fiery furnace. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their, their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at that, brothers and sisters. As Nebuchadnezzar watches this, brothers and sisters, he's seeing that the people who he uh, commanded, to bound or to bind these brothers and throw them in the furnace. The fire was so hot that when they're taking them up there to put them in, they're destroyed by the fiery, uh, by the fiery furnace. Verse 23. And these three men fell down bound into the midst of the burn, burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astonished. He was astonished and rose up in haste and spake. What did he say? And said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Did not what, brother? We cast three men bound into the midst of the fire. Didn't we put three brothers who were already handcuffed or bound into the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Look at that. Brothers and sisters, as Nebuchadnezzar watches, he's amazed to see not three, but four people in the flames. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? <laughs> Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 25. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We're showing you that Christ had a function well before he was born, brothers and sisters. See? Through the Spirit, he's the Son of God. Through the flesh, he's the Son of David. See? You have to learn how to locate him. He's all throughout the manuscript. He said, search the scriptures, right? Why? Because the whole Old Testament testifies of me. Brothers and sisters, we're showing you here that Christ came, not as the Messiah at that time, right? He had a function well before, since Genesis, the first chapter. And here it was. Here it was. He was doing what? He was delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar saw this, brothers and sisters. Nebuchadnezzar saw this. Can you read 26, brother? I need you to... Examine their response to the king. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
ye servants of the Most High God. Come forth and come hither. Then the three men came forth of the midst of the fire. The, then what, brother? Then the three men came forth of the midst of the fire. Now it's back to three. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? <laughs> see? So he said, well, listen, didn't we put three in the furnace? Why do I see four? Uh, you know, why do I see four unbound, loose? And one of them looks like the son of God. You see that, brothers and sisters? You have to read the Bible. You have to read the Old Testament. Because you really don't understand Christ unless you read the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to 2 Timothy 2 and 15. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Do what, brother? Study to show thyself approved unto God. Paul encourages study so that we can be approved unto God with what? With accurate handling of the literature, brothers and sisters. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed. A what, brother? A workman that needed not to be ashamed. Paul urges Timothy to view himself as a worker seeking to please the Most High. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? This is how we ought to, to this is how we ought to look at ourselves, brothers and sisters. Look at the next part. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Doing what, brother? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Right division is vital to understand scripture in different administrations, brothers and sisters. You see everything that's contained in this one scripture. Let's read that from the top, brother, please. Verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, so we must distinguish the subdivisions of ages and the administrators, the administrators, brothers and sisters, of the Most High, revealed in each age. So he's telling you rightfully dividing the word, understanding the dispensations, right? All of this we ought to be able to do, okay? Or working to be able to do it. Not to say everyone knows how to do this now. But he's saying study. Why? To show yourself approved not to men. But unto the most high God. And your study is like a workman. This is your work. Brothers and sisters. This is your work. See? Let's go to Revelations 19 and 9. In light of what Timothy is telling us. The book of Timothy is telling us. Let's go to Revelations 19 and 9. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters, please. Revelation 19, verse 9. And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Christ, worship God. For the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Brothers and sisters, examine John's response to the announcement of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's read those two scriptures one more time, brother. Verse 9. This is the announcement. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Mm. 
and I fell at his feet to worship him. What did he do? I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, What did he say? See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. Look at this, brothers and sisters. John collapsed, ready to worship the angel who disclosed these things. However, the angel immediately resists the worship. You see this, brothers and sisters? After the invitation is, after the proclamation, after the announcement of the marriage supper of the Lamb, what does John do? John falls to his face in worship. Can you read 10 one more time, brother? Verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Christ. Worship God. Who did he say worship? Worship God. Who, brother? God. For the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So in a brief command, the angel implored John to worship God instead, brothers and sisters. See? Do you see that? Here it was. He falls on his face to worship this angel. The angel resists him, right? Sharply, right? Now, brothers and sisters, despite this warning, John repeats the same mistake in Revelations, the 22nd chapter in the ninth verse. In doing what? Attracting another reprimand from the angel. Where are we going with this? We'll show. We'll show. Let's go to Revelations 22 and 8. We'll have Brother Corey read 8 and 9. Revelation 22 verse 8. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Read that again, brother, please. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Overwhelmed by the grandeur of the vision, John collapsed in worship before the angel, brothers and sisters. Verse 9. Then saith he unto me. What did he say, brother? See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Look at this. This is the second time John has fell at an angel's feet. And tried to worship him, brothers and sisters. And it is the second time an angel has rebuked him. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? The text reminds us that even God's most, most faithful servants can be slow learners, brothers and sisters. And or prone to making hasty mistakes. This was John, brothers and sisters. <laughs> the revelator who wrote this book. And what is he doing? He was falling to idolatry. Falling to idolatry, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to go and show you that there was twice, brothers and sisters, just in a short span of three chapters in Revelations, the book of Revelations, the book of the revealings, where because he received these visions or these understandings from this angel, he fell on his face to, he fell on his face to worship and was rebuked both times. Rebuked both times, right? Now, let's go to Joshua 5 and 13. This is where we're going, brothers and sisters. Joshua 5 and 13. Why? Because the Bible said, Christ said, search the scriptures. For in them they testify of me. You think you have salvation. So according to Christ, he's written of all throughout the scriptures, brothers and sisters. 
all throughout the scriptures. Let's take a look. Joshua 5 and 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, What did he say? Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. <clears throat> and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Brothers and sisters, when we examine the verse uh, 13, right, we see that Joshua's primary concern is with discovering this man's loyalties, right? Let's read that one more time. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. What did he have in his hand? A sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversary? Are you for us or are you for the enemy? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? So here we see that Joshua asked what? If he was for or against he, him. And he said what? Neither. He said, I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the most high side. So here we're told that Joshua fell on his face and gave him reverence, right? Read that one more time, brother. 14, please. And he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? So look at this. Joshua re realizes that he's second in command, right? He stood before a man of greater rank than he is. Why? Verse 14 says, what, what title did he have? But as captain of the host of the Lord. Captain of the army. Captain of the host, right? Am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Look at that, brothers and sisters. You see that? Joshua worships this fellow without being rebuked. See? Which you're not allowed to do to an angel. <laughs> we just read that in Revelations, right? Further proof that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah. There is no other explanation, brothers and sisters. We just saw other places in this same literature, this same manuscript, where a brother was rebuked for falling on his face to worship an angel. And what happens here? What did the angel say, brother? So-called angel, verse 15. Verse 15, and the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Brothers and sisters, what you'll discover is that Christ did not begin his ministry when he was born. See, he had a ministry before he was born. Brothers and sisters, this is the, the personal appearance of Christ to Joshua over a thousand years before he was born. 
See, this is what makes Christ special, not him being born without a father. See that, brothers and sisters? Having Joshua remove his sandals reminds one of what? <laughs> reminds of the Lord telling Moses to remove his sandals in God's presence at the burning bush. Remember that? <laughs> Same exact thing. Same exact thing, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John 1 and 26. Let us show you something, some, uh, some hermeneutical understanding based on the time and the culture and the geographical location. John chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. John 1 and 26. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latcheth I am not worthy to unloose. Brothers and sisters, to have the right to untie a man's sandals displayed authority over him. Okay? This is why he said, I can't even take his shoes off. See, we would look at that backwards. <laughs> we would look at that backwards, right, brothers and sisters? Right? And that if I'm taking your shoes off, I'm serving you. Nah, it's backwards. Because if somebody tell you to take your shoes off when you come into their house, what is they showing, brothers and sisters? If they're showing that what? In that house, they're the authority, right? Same thing here, brothers and sisters. He's telling, jo he's telling John, or excuse me, you know, telling Joshua to take your shoes off. Somebody who doesn't have authority in that area can't do that, brothers and sisters. This is what John is saying. He's saying to take this brother to unloose his shoes would mean I have authority over him. Why are we doing this? Why? Why? Because Joshua was told to take his shoes off. That means someone was an authority over him that could make him take his, his sandals off, brothers and sisters. We're, we're going to talk about it, brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about it because it was clear that that was no regular angel. In Joshua 5, it was clear, brothers and sisters, it was clear. How do we know? Because Revelations 19 and Revelations 22, John did what? John fell on his face to worship an angel and the angel did what? Responded with a sharp rebuke. Yet Joshua was able to fall on his face and worship. Not only did he, got, not, only did he not receive a rebuke, he was told to go further. Take off your shoes, young man. Where you're standing is holy ground. That was Christ, brothers and sisters. Further proof. Let's go to Exodus 3, brothers and sisters. I'm going to have Brother Corey read 1 through, uh, 1 through 5. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, brothers and sisters, here we're told that Moses discovered a burning bush in the wilderness, right? You see this? And the angel of the Lord spoke to him. Verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Look at this closely, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 
Can you read verse 2 again, brother? Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. The word appeared, brothers and sisters, teaches us that this is not referring to a vision. See that? But a physical manifestation of the presence of God. Let's read that one more time. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. So the angel of the Lord appeared in a thorny bush that was on fire but not destroyed, right? Verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy foot. Do what? Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. According to the text, this place is designated as holy ground. Brothers and sisters. Now, no ordinary angel would have the cheek to declare this place, the place of his visitation as holy ground. Okay, brothers and sisters, no one. This is clear here. This is not just a regular angel. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 5. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Look at that. He was afraid to look upon God. Now, first it said it was the what? Angel of the Lord. So upon learning the identity behind the voice, Moses hid his face in fear. This was the Messiah, brothers and sisters, okay, in his pre-incarnation. The Most High never leaves the throne, okay? Never. And the Bible told you that no man have seen God and lived, okay? So this is not the Most High. This is Christ, brothers and sisters. Remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, right? The Word was God. Remember? So Christ was here in Exodus well before being born to Mary and Joseph. Well before. So as Christians are trying to, trying to, you know, say, trying to say, we're trying to diminish him by saying that he had a physical father. No, you're trying to diminish him because you'll overlook all of this just to say that he didn't have a father. See that brothers and sisters. So we're not going to let Christians or anyone else try to come in and twist what Israelites are saying, or at least what the children of Israel in the commandment keepers church is saying. Okay, you're not going to chop this video up and then try to play certain parts to make it look like we don't deal with Christ. We deal with all of Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Okay. So this is what Christians do, right, brothers and sisters? This is how they'll, 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 they'll try to present it. They'll present it as if Israelites don't believe that Christ, you know, is great. Israelites believed that Christ was just a man. False. Negative. Negative. 
That's why we brought this out, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Whom Do You Say I Am? Whom do you say I am? Let's go to John 5 and 37, brother. You see, we're jumping all over the Bible, brothers and sisters. We don't just deal in the Old Testament. We don't just deal in the New Testament. We deal with the entire Bible, including Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. John 5 and 37. And the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Read that again, brother, please. And the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. You see that? So who was that then, brothers and sisters? <laughs> who was that? Why is it saying it was God there? See? <laughs> see, we have to study to show ourselves approved. Brothers and sisters, Christ had a function well before the gospel came, brothers and sisters. Okay? See? And all of this fits with Romans 1 and 3. He came in the flesh through the seed of David. He was the son of God through the spirit and power of holiness. Without that one scripture, you can't understand the mystery of godliness. We're breaking down that mystery. We're breaking down, utilizing the Bible, led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed this to us. We didn't just, we're not just deep like that, brothers and sisters, okay? This is the Holy Spirit who, who revealed this. Okay, brothers and sisters? This is the mystery of godliness. How is it possible that he's son of David and son of God? Christians can't answer it. Most Israelites can't answer it. But guess who can? The Bible. The Bible, brothers and sisters. Let's go. Let's go to John 1 and 18, brother. Let's go to John, the first chapter, the 18th verse. John 1 and 18. No man has seen God at any, at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Closely examine the declaration of the Messiah. Can you read that again, brother? 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Can you read that one more time, brother? <clears throat> no man hath seen God at any time. This passage provides context and clarity to any appearance of the Most High in the Old Testament. You see that, brothers and sisters? That was not the Most High. Can you read that, brother? No man hath seen God at any, at any time. Mm. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. It is apparent that any visible form of the Most High in the Old Testament was the Messiah operating in his preexistence, brothers and sisters. You see that? We just wanted to pull that out. Because we have to study to show thyself approved. Christians just want to say, well, listen, he died on the cross for our sins. No, that's not enough. See, that's why we're in this case, because we do the bare minimum. We do the bare minimum. You're not going to just tell me Christ died on the cross for my sins. What about all the things he did before? See, what about all that? Is that important at all? See, 
This is why the churches are closing down. This is why there's no men in the churches. This is why they're not pulling out scriptures, brothers and sisters. I, any brother or sister that, you know, is going to church, I need you the next time you're there on a Sunday, write down how many scriptures they go into. Just write it down. Write it down in, in emails, brothers and sisters. How many scriptures while you're in church and they're passing the plate around, how many scriptures did they actually pull out? Because here it is, sitting on our broadcast, we're going into about 30, 40 scriptures each broadcast, brothers and sisters. And we haven't asked for no money. <laughs> okay? Let's go to 2 Corinthians, brother. 4 and 3. Why? Because we're talking about the mystery of godliness. Whom do you say I am, Christ asked. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. What's that say, brother? But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Thus the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Brothers and sisters, Paul here identified the source of spiritual blindness as the work of Satan to keep the unconverted spiritually blind. Do you see that? Let's read that one more time, uh, brother. Uh, verse 3 and 4, please. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. To who, brother? To them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Look at that. This verse reveals Satan's religious position, teaching that he receives, receives homage as what? As the one worshipped by the unconverted. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 4. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Look at that. So those who don't believe this gospel of what we're teaching, according to the Bible, have been blinded by Satan. Okay? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Christ's sake. Mm. Brothers and sisters, according to the author, Christ is literally the most highest revelation of himself to humanity. You see that? So for you not to study Christ, for you to try to study all Paul's writings and not deal with Christ. You can't even, they can't tell us nothing about Christ, brothers and sisters. Christians can't tell us anything about Christ other than he died on the cross for our sins. Like, really? Really? Study to show yourself approved. We can teach Christ from the Old Testament. We don't even need the New Testament, brothers and sisters. We can go to, into 50 different pro, uh, prophetic texts in the Old Testament doing what? Prophesying or prognosticating what? The Messiah. Christians have to go back into it and learn again. Okay, we think we know, but you really have no idea. You really have no idea. That's why the Holy Spirit led us to put this together, brothers and sisters, so you can so you can get the truth concerning Christ. The truth. Let's go to John 12, brothers and sisters. Let's stick in the gospel. 
John 12, and we'll have Brother Corey read 44 and 45. Take a look, brothers and sisters, please. John 12 and 44. Christ cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. <laughs> you see that? According to the Messiah, the Son is the only manifestation and revelation of the Father. See that, brothers and sisters? What is known of the Father is revealed through who? His Son. Let's read that again. Verse 44. Christ cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. This is the part that we get. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Mm, look at that. <laughs> Christ made the Father known through what? Through his incarnation, which is confirmed by these statements. Christ also did what? He also made the Father known in the Old Testament before his incarnation. So we just wanted to show you, it said, he that seeth me, seeth him, him that sent me. Proving that that was the Messiah. Well, really, he wasn't the Messiah at that time because he hadn't been born. But that was Christ. Okay, that was Yeshua. That was the one prophesied. He had a function well before he was Christ. Okay? He had a, a function well before he was Savior. Okay, brothers and sisters? And it's time that he gets his respect. It's time he gets his respect from Christians and from, from other people also, like Israelites. Okay, brothers and sisters, no longer are Jews, are Israelites going to allow you to lie after lie after lie on the only perfect man, the one who shed his blood for you and I. No more. We're not going to allow Satan to continue to blind the minds of our people. And yes, you, yes, I have some vigor in my voice because, brothers and sisters, Christ is the most lied on, most disrespected historical figure. And we are allowing it. Our people allow them to make Christ white. They allow, we allow them to say his birthday is December 25th. We allow them to change Passover into Easter. We allow them to, to, to dismiss his father. How is that fair? What if somebody, you had a son. And they're like, well, nah, just ease, just move on out the way, brother. Just, just move out the way. We don't need you. You know, the mother did all this. See? But then you allow that to happen to Christ. See, it's like Joseph is some third wheel somewhere. That Mary did all this. And see, that's, that's the spirit of the devil. Because this is what it taught sisters. It taught sisters that I don't need a man. <laughs> okay? Let me just, I could just look at Christ's mother, right? Christ's mother didn't have a man. It's all interconnected, brothers and sisters. It's highly, highly satanic. Highly satanic. When you go to Matthew, the first chapter, Joseph was a king, okay? That is a lineage of kings, starting with Abraham. So if Joseph, if you know, if our people were not, in captivity to the Romans at that time, which we were, obviously. That's why Harad was trying to kill him. But if we were not, if they weren't living amongst us, Joseph would have been king. 
He would have been the king at that time. Go read it again, brothers and sisters, please. Read it again. Read Matthew, the first chapter again. Don't jump to verse 18, okay? Because that's what Christians do. Read it line by line by line. Starts with Abraham, goes down to Joseph, brothers and sisters. No longer are we going to allow you to lie on Christ. No longer are we going to allow you to lie on his people. No longer are we going to allow you to lie on his father. No more. No more. Let's go to Luke, brothers and sisters. Luke 24 and 44. Let's go there. Luke 22, or is it 24? Oh, excuse me, it's a lot here. 24, thank you, brother. Uh, 24 and 44. Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Look at that closely. Brothers and sisters, he spoke about the three divisions of the Old Testament. Let's listen to it again. Verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. All things must be fulfilled. Which were written in the law of Moses. The Torah. And in the prophets. The Tanakh. And the Psalms. The book of Psalms. Concerning me. So look at that. Brothers and sisters, whether it be whether it was the law of God, the message of his prophets or the Psalms, it all points towards the Messiah. This is what Christ was saying. This is why the Old Testament is important. Brothers and sisters, according to Christ, there were messianic prognostications throughout the, the revealed manuscript at that time. He just compiled the whole Bible. <laughs> he said the books of Moses which is what the Torah or what, you know, theologians call the Pentateuch, right? It says the prophets, which is what the Old Testaments, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, right? That's the Tanakh and Psalms, of course, which we know that's hymns, right? Or songs. He said, I'm written of all throughout this Bible without the New Testament. So we're not going to allow Christians or anyone else to diminish to diminish the importance or the significance of the Old Testament. Not going to allow it anymore. Let's go to Genesis 49. Because he already said that, listen, I'm written of in the Torah. I'm written of in the Tanakh. I'm written of in the book of Psalms. So let's go there. Let's go to the first book. Let's see. Is there anything about him in the first book? Let's go to Genesis 49. Genesis 49 and 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Where did Christ come from? Which one of the 12 tribes did Christ come from, brothers and sisters? If you don't know that, you need to you need to start all the way over. 
you need to start all the way over, okay? Christ came from Judah, okay? Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from the his from between his feet until Shiloh come. Until who come? Until Shiloh come. Until who come? Shiloh come. Who's Shiloh, brothers and sisters? <laughs> who is that? See? What's the what's the second part say? And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Shiloh. And unto Shiloh, Christ, the gathering of the people shall be. You see that? So we're not coming together under being black. We're not coming together under being Israelites. We're coming together under who? Our big brother, the Messiah, Christ, also known as Yeshua. You see that? So this whole, this is Genesis 49. This is Genesis 49 referring to the Messiah, a prognostication of what was to come. Can you read uh, 8 one more time, brother? Verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thine brethren shall praise. Who the brothers shall be, look up to Judah. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Now that's key. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. So it's telling you that Judah would... Anytime we went into captivity, we went to the uh, Persian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, the Greek captivity, the Roman captivity. They always kept Judah close by, by at the neck. Okay, it's right underneath of the head. So they always kept Judah close by so they can monitor Judah because they understood that Judah was the king tribe. So Judah always rose up and did what? Got his brethren to raise up. How do we know? Read 8 one more time, brother, please. Verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thine brethren shall praise. See, the brethren shall praise. So that means if Judah wake up, where is he going to go? He's going to go to his brethren whom shall praise, right? Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. So look at that, brothers and sisters. The Haitians, they don't live on the same land as the Edomites or the Europeans, right? You notice that, right? Even though they went into slavery. The slave ships dropped them off in Haiti. What about the Benjamites, the West Indies, right? They don't live on the same land with the Edomites or the white man. Why is that? See that? They would need to keep Judah, which was Christ's tribe, close by. Because it's prophecy that these people, would, the Most High would purposely wake them up first. So why? So they could go to their brothers because they had the level of influence that would be needed to go to their brethren. See that, brothers and sisters? Christ came through Judah. So they would look to destroy Judah more so than any of the other tribes. Can you read verse 9, brother? Verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? So the idea of Judah's strength is evidenced in the reference to him as a lion's cub going up, brothers and sisters, right? Or a lion's whelp, right? Can you read that one more time? Verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Who shall rouse him up? Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Read that part again, brother. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, 
and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Brothers and sisters, the promise of the scepter and the what you would call ruler's staff indicates that Judah would exercise rulership. You see that? Scepter and law, which is what, brothers and sisters? King and priest. Christ would be king and priest after the order of Melchizedek. Read it. Look it up, brothers and sisters. Who was Melchizedek? According to the Bible, Melchizedek was Shem. When you go back and look at Genesis, where Abraham, uh, where Abraham ran into Melchizedek while he was being used that term, it tells you that he was the king and the priest of Salem. Brothers and sisters, Salem is Jerusalem. Okay, so Melchizedek that you read of only like maybe three times in the whole Bible. Right. Maybe find that name three or four times. It was actually Shem. Okay. Ham, Shem and Japheth, which are Noah's sons. Okay. So look at this. This is a prophecy of the Messiah that he would be king and priest. How do we know? Let's go to Isaiah nine and six. We're going to it's all coming out today, brothers and sisters. It's all coming out. We're putting these non-believers on trial we're going to pull out all of the scriptures that point to Christ a black man as the Messiah right as the king who's going to deliver our people Isaiah 9 and 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. What shall be on his shoulders? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Brothers and sisters, this is a prophecy of the coming rule of Christ on earth. I need you to listen to it closely. For unto us a child is born. Mm. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. You see that, brothers and sisters? I hope you really didn't miss that. Read verse 7, brother, please. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Christ is coming with a government, brothers and sisters. You see this. This is why the governments of the earth are going to look to destroy Christ. See? They have you believing that, you know... You need to look on the outside of the, you know, there's asteroids coming and, and other species of, you know, angels and all that. Look at all these movies that they're, they're uh, coming with, brothers and sisters, where they're training or coercing or deceiving people to fight things coming from space. Okay? See that? Remember Independence Day, brothers and sisters? What was that? <laughs> See? So they're going to train the government. They're going to train the military to say, listen, if something comes from out there, it's an attack on all of us. So destroy it. When they know what's coming, what's coming? Verse 6. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The government will be upon his shoulders, which means he will bear the responsibility of governing the people. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. The mighty God, mm. the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The what? The Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Mm. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it 
and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So according to what we're seeing here, peace will characterize his reign upon the earth, brothers and sisters. That's what we're seeing. His administration would be to restore and perpetuate peace. When's the last time black, Hispanic, and native people have had peace? What year was that? Hmm? What year was that? See, so other people don't need saving. Okay? <laughs> you don't know what salvation is according to God. You need to read what salvation is according to God, brothers and sisters. Everyone else have their own land. They're not being killed by police. They're not being poisoned. So what exactly do they need saving from? Our people are being destroyed. We're being destroyed. Let's go to Psalms, brother. <clears throat> 110. Let's go back there. We were there earlier. Let's go there in depth now. Psalms 110 in one. We're gonna go through the whole we're gonna go through the whole one through four. Psalms one ten verse one. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord, the most high, saith unto my Lord, which is my master, which is Yeshua or Christ, sit thou at my right hand. You see this? So there's a separation between the Most High and Christ. They're not the same. How could the Most High be telling himself to sit next to himself on the right hand? Doesn't make any sense, okay? Can you read that again, brother? Verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Mm -hmm. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. After what, brother? After the order of Melchizedek. Brothers and sisters, few persons in the Bible are shrouded in more mystery than Melchizedek, king of Salem. There's only one other passage in the entire Old Testament where we find anything written about Melchizedek. Okay? Let's go there. Let's go to Genesis 14. Examine this closely. Genesis, the 14th chapter, the 14th verse. We're going to read verse 14 through 23, brothers and sisters. Genesis 14 and 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And did what? And pursued them unto Dan. Okay. And he divided himself against them, and he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is of the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. So we learn that Abram has defeated five kings with his 318 trained men and saved his, his nephew, Lot, brothers and sisters. Do you see this? This is what we see in verse 14 through 16. 
verse 17, brother, please. Verse 17. And when the king of Sodom went out to meet him after the return from the slaughter of Chardorlamor and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shebeh, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. So hold on, brothers and sisters. Do you see this? On his victorious return from the battle, he encounters Melchizedek, king of Salem. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, hold up. Did you catch it, brothers and sisters? This text tells you what? He was the ruler of nearby Salem, right? The city that would once one day be called Jerusalem. Now, look at it one more time. Read 18 one more time, brother, please. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. King of Salem. Brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So he was the king of Salem, and he was the priest of the Most High. You see that? <laughs> That's the order of Melchizedek, brothers and sisters. So... The text records what, brothers and sisters? Let us show you. Let, 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 us, let us just run through it. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. He did what? And he gave him tithes of all. Look at that. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It tells you clearly. This text records Abraham or Abram did what? Gave this king a tenth of his spoils from the battle because he recognized the greatness of this priest king. See, that was the key when it said he was the priest. Because later on, a few scriptures left down, it would tell you that this is where tithes began. See, this is where it began. Abraham gave 10% of all what he, all the spoils from his battle to who? Melchizedek. Why? Because he was the king of Salem and the priest unto the Most High. Let's read 19 one more time. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. He gave him what? Tithes of all. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> the significance is that Abraham was not under the law of Moses. Why? Because that came about 500 years later. There was no law of Moses. Moses, was not li Moses wasn't living at this time. And if you don't know that, you, you need to start studying again. Okay? There was no law during the time of Abraham. Yet he was given tithes. You see that, brothers and sisters? So these are only these are the only Old Testament narratives we have on the enigmatic priest. And I think we still missed it. Let us read those again. Let's read um, Let's read verse 18. Verse 18. This is after Abraham's on the way back from battle. And Melchizedek, king of Salem. Brought forth bread and wine. What did he bring forth? Bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. Hmm. Bread and wine. Hmm. 
Sound familiar, brothers and sisters? Who else brought forth bread and wine? Hmm. Let's go to Matthew 26 and 26, brothers and sisters, please. Matthew, the 26th chapter, the 26th verse. We're going to have Brother Corey read 26 through 29. Matthew 26 and 26. And as they were eating, Christ took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see this, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? What's the next verse saying, brother? Verse 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Remember, brothers and sisters, remember Melchizedek brought bread and wine out for Abraham, even as Christ brought bread and wine out to his disciples. That's where it came from. So it's clear that the offering of Melchizedek foreshadowed what? The Last Supper. See that? Christ knew exactly what he was doing, brothers and sisters. Why did he choose wine and bread? He knew exactly what he was doing. He understood the Old Testament law. He understood Melchizedek. He understood the king and priest. He understood that, brothers and sisters. He would be the next king and priest. Because in the Old Testament, the king was who? Judah. The priest was who? Levi. So that was separate. That was separate. Now, under the Messiah, you have the kings and the priests will be one. Who is that? Christ. Christ himself. Let's go to John, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, follow us to John the 6th chapter, the 53rd through the 62nd verse. Please follow us here. Because remember, we just came from Matthew 26 and 26, where we learned about what? That Christ actually, he was fulfilling, was in the law, which was what? Genesis 14. Melchizedek doing what? Breaking bread and wine with a man who paid tithes to him. Christ remembered that. He understood that. This is what he came to fulfill. The whole Old Testament was what? Was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Christ knew this. Christ was the substance. The Old Testament was the shadow. Let's take a look. John 6 and 53. Then Christ said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. This is what? That bread which came down from heaven. 
Not as your fathers did eat manna. He said, not like that manna in the wilderness. And are dead. They ate that manna and died. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Mm, that unleavened bread. Christ is that unleavened bread, brothers and sisters. Verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Christ knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Look at that, where he was before. You see that, brothers and sisters? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? Brothers and sisters, follow us to Matthew, the second chapter. Because why? We just learned that according to Genesis, right? Melchizedek, right? Who was Shem, met with Abraham, right? And what did he do? He broke the bread and had the wine. And you link that with Christ. But remember, in Genesis, it told us what? In Genesis 14, it told you that Melchizedek was king and priest, okay? And that bread and wine represents a covenant. So we're showing you that Christ did the same thing. Doing what? Proving his priesthood. But now we have to show you his kingship, right? So we showed the priesthood, right? With the bread and the wine. Now we have to show you the flip side of that, which is his kingship. That he came in the order of Melchizedek, which is king and priest. Follow us to Matthew, the second chapter. Brothers and sisters, we're going to have Brother Corey start at Matthew 2 and 1. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now when Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. In the days of who? In the days of, excuse me, in the days of Herod the king. Look at this. So now there's another king here, right? Herod the king. So it's telling you that there's another king here, right, brothers and sisters? Okay, let's jump to verse 5, brother. Matthew 2 and 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, so Israel. In Excuse me. So in Matthew, the second chapter, right, they see his star. And guess what? They understand prophecy. Even Herod, even though he didn't respect the Israelites, he knew what was contained in the Bible. So when he saw that sign, brothers and sisters, he knew exactly what it meant. So what did he do? He inquired of where, where is this so-called king of the Jews supposed to be born? And what did they do? They pointed to to verse uh, 5 and 6. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. It's written in the prophets, he's telling you, right? And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. Now that's written of in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, that Bethlehem, which means house of bread, would have a king, a prince, or a governor come out of it, right? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That shall do what? 
rule my people Israel. Now see, that's the key. See, that's the point right there, brothers and sisters. That is the point. <laughs> we just spoke that Harad was the king. But according to the prophets, there's another king that was prophesied to rule over Israel, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Let's read verse let's read verse seven and eight. Verse seven. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. He knew that Christ represented a new kingdom. He knew this. And his coming, though misunderstood, represented a threat to all other powers, brothers and sisters. So Herod knew that his status as ruler was tenuous, right? As made clear by his behavior, because now, here it is, He's sending the wise men to find out where the child lay. See? So Harad, much like all of or any of his fellow traveling tyrannical colleagues, understood that his time would eventually run out. He, he knew this, brothers and sisters. See, that's why he's diligently seeking the young child. And listen to the lie. Can you read verse 8? Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. That I may come and worship him. Now it's clear, he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. How do we know? Because when you jump down to, jump down to verse, verse 16. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrath. And sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Look at this. This was a hit. There was a hit put out on children, on kids. This was a mass extermination of babies, brothers and sisters. Now, are we to believe that he did this because he didn't get a chance to worship Christ? Is that what happened here, brothers and sisters? Or did he know that if he told the wise men what his plan was... They would have not given him the information, but it was clear if you read the text that the Most High guided them, the Holy Spirit guided them to not bring back that information. Why? Can you read verse 16, brother? Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrath, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. See that? You see, brothers and sisters? So they understood that he was king. They understood that a king was prophesied, brothers and sisters. They, they knew this. Even the Gentiles knew this. All the other kings that were associated with the children of Israel knew that the Bible tells you that Christ would come to free our people, Right? So they look to kill him. They're like, well, no. <laughs> These people are going to serve us. Now, see, it's clear that they didn't understand the scriptures either because Christ didn't come to do that his first time around. He's going to do what they thought this time around, brothers and sisters. He came as a humble servant, a suffering servant the first time. When he comes back, he's coming for deliverance. He's coming as a kinsman redeemer, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that Christ's identity 
was was largely a mystery to all people. They knew who he was, kind of, right? Even Herod didn't understand why Christ had come. So that's why we went into the Bible to, to start all the way in Genesis to show you how, how hidden Christ's actual identity is. Many people, even those who walked with him, could not put a finger on it, brothers and sisters. They had some part of it, but not all of it. In fact, let us show you that what Brother Corey and I just went into made you an enemy of the state. If you tried to teach what we just went into, brothers and sisters, you would become an enemy of the state. And, and what we'll show, brothers and sisters, is after you know this lesson is concluded, if you internalize this and deem it to be true through the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit, you will become an enemy, brothers and sisters. Let us show you that subsequent to Christ's death, brothers and sisters, when they tried to teach this gospel, right, the real gospel, they were flogged, brothers and sisters. They were persecuted. Why? Because th there was a story. There was history of a man named Christ, Yeshia, right? That was that would make you the enemy of all people. Would make you the enemy if you told the truth about him as we have today. Now, if you come with the virgin birth and all that stuff, they'll let you teach that, brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, we'll give you a pulpit to teach that, brother. <laughs> Christ didn't have a father. We'll give you a pulpit for that. But if you try to teach what we're going into today, Israelites will come against you. Christians will come against you. The government will come against you. And we'll show all three of those things today. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, brothers and sisters. We want to show you the impact of the Messiah's teachings, okay? Let's go to Acts the fourth chapter. Let's go to Acts the fourth chapter, brothers and sisters. Acts chapter 4, we're going to read verse 1 through 3. We want to show you the impact, okay? Acts 4 verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people. Being what? Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Christ the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. And put them in hold until the next day. For it was now even tied. Brothers and sisters, the first recorded incident of the opposition of the gospel is the arrest and trial of Peter and John for doing what? Preaching the gospel. Here it is saying they were grieved because why? The disciples taught the people and preached Christ's resurrection from the dead. Right? Let's jump to verse 18, brother. Let's read 18 through 21. Acts 4 and 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Christ. Look at this. An attempt. Here we're reading an attempt to thwart the spread of the gospel, right? 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had find no further threatened them, uh, excuse me. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. So they gave Peter and John a direct order to stop teaching 
in Christ's authority, right? That was in verse 18. In verse 21, we see that Peter and John were released with a warning. Can you read 21 again, brother? What verse, was the warning? Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. So the Sanhedrin was seeking to maintain their authority with the people. You see that, brothers and sisters? These are religious leaders here. Just like you have your Christians, your T.D. Jakes, your Joel Osteens. These people were enemies of God. These people were enemies of Christ. And in the text shows us or teaches us that the understanding of the Messiah challenges the authority of the current power structure. That's what we're seeing here, right? See, now, if Christ wasn't real <laughs> or had no power, right, they wouldn't go through all this. They wouldn't go through all this. See, if you teach this truth, that we're, as it is written, you become the enemy. Let us show. Let's go to Acts, the fifth chapter. We're going to go Acts 5 and 12, brothers and sisters. Acts 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. So here it was. It's telling you by the hands of the apostles were many wonders, many signs among the people, right? We're going to jump around a little bit. We're going from verse 12 to verse 16 through 21, just so you get the point. Verse 16. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean, unclean spirits. And they were healed every one. They were healed every one, right? Now let's see, how do the religious leaders respond to this? Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all that they were they that were with him, which is the sect of Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. They were filled with indignation. Because why? The disciples were healing people, right? And the bishops, the pastors, need you sick. Because why? You tie better when you sit. <laughs> when you need something. You see this, brothers and sisters? Verse 18. And laid, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So look at this. They're being thrown in prison for healing, brothers and sisters, teaching the doctrine of Christ. Right? Verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said. What did he say? Go. Stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So these brothers were thrown in prison. Subsequent to that, rather the same night, the angel, an angel frees them and said, go right back to where you were. <laughs> go back out there and teach the same gospel. Teach the same gospel, right? Verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came. And they that were with them and called the council together and all the Senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. The Senate. So you see this, brothers and sisters, this was the power structure. These weren't just regular Israelites. You see, it was the Senate. It was those who had authority. It was the Sanhedrin, which is the Sanhedrin are, is, a, is a plethora of judges whom was the courts. So you would bring it before the Sanhedrin and they would make it this uh <clears throat> they would they would make a they would do an adjudication essentially, brothers and sisters. They would say, listen, you're guilty or you're not. Let them free or charge them. 
right? So we're showing you that these were the authorities that had problems with this. So when you come with this teaching that the, that the Holy Spirit has given us, the people in authority, those pastors, right? Those bishops, all those people who have raped the community dry will come against you. While you was eating pork and celebrating Christmas, right? And going, you know, Sunday worship, no one had anything to say. But now that we've found our identity, picked up the Bible and teaching the truth out of the Bible, everyone has a problem now. See? Jump to verse 25, brother. Let's read 25 through 29. Acts 5 and 25. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them. There it is, the council, the high priest, the bishop, the pastor. Verse 28, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? Didn't we tell you to back on up, brother? See? Now, what's Christ's name, brothers and sisters? It's not Jesus, okay? There was no J's during this time. Christ's name is Savior in the Hebrew. When you look at Savior in the ancient Phoenician Hebrew, it's Yeshaya. My Savior is Yeshaya. So Christ's name is Yeshaya. The Most High's name is Ahiah. So it matters, brothers and sisters. It matters what his name is. It's telling you right here because the opposition didn't want this name around, okay? So you need to know that his name is not Yeshua, it's not Jeshua, it's none of those names, brothers and sisters. It's Yeshaya, Yeshaya, which is Savior in the Hebrew. Can you read 28 one more time, brother? Verse 28, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? What do we tell you? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Oh, oh, you see that, brothers and sisters? Christ has a doctrine. The apostles has a doctrine. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, brothers and sisters. Go read it sometimes. There was a core doctrine that Christ and the apostles taught, okay? And if you come with a different doctrine, then you are of the devil. So it's clear that when it says, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, this doctrine was different, brothers and sisters. What doctrine is that? We're going into it right now. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <clears throat> Verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We ain't no chumps. You see that? So they made us believe that Christians were punks, or the believers of, of Christ were punks. If you, you Go read the Bible again, brothers and sisters. These were not some punks or some soft chumps. See, they've put that connotation on it. And that's why our people don't deal with the Bible, the men. Because they believe, well, other people believe that dealing with the Bible make you soft. And our men have a problem with that. But I'm here to show you, brothers and sisters, we're here to show you. The scriptures say that these were not punks by any stretch of the imagination. They went against government. They rebelled, brothers and sisters, and said, well, listen, we're going to obey God rather than you, okay? You see that, brothers and sisters? Jump to verse, uh, let's jump to verse 34, brethren. Acts 5 and 34. 
Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. So Gamaliel, right, who was known for the law, right, what did he say? He told him, listen, be careful dealing with these brothers, okay? Be careful how you deal with these brothers. Jump to verse 38, brother. We'll read 38 through 41, 42. Verse 38. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. See, that? See this is why we don't talk about other Israelite churches and and people in specific. We'll deal with the doctrine, but we're not going to talk about them personally. You see? Because he said, leave these men alone. And if what they're doing is not of God, it will fall apart. You see that, brothers and sisters? Can you read that again, brother? 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God... But if what? But if it be of God... You cannot overthrow it. You can what, brother? You cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. Look at that. He's saying if what these brothers are dealing with is coming from God, there's nothing that you can do. There will be nothing you'll be able to do to overcome them. Because why? If you come against those brothers, you're coming against God. You see, brothers and sisters, right? Verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Christ and let them go. There it is again. They're like, leave that brother's doctrine alone. Leave his name alone. We're showing you that coming with this doctrine, brothers and sisters, this type of teaching will make you an enemy. So when you take this information you learned today and you try to go out with it, expect to be excoriated. Expect to be castigated. Expect to be persecuted, brothers and sisters. People are not going to be happy to hear this information because they weren't happy back then. Right? These brothers have now been beaten and commanded that, listen, <laughs> let it go. Just let it go. Verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing that they were uh, counted worthy. See, our people back then loved to suffer for Christ, right? They loved it because that showed what? Your commitment. That showed your commitment. And what happened after that, brother? 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Yeshua Christ. Further proof that teaching and preaching are two different things. You see that, brothers and sisters? What we do is teach. We're teachers, Okay, preaching is what you do to non-believers. Preaching is what you what you see in on Sunday worship. Teachers is what you do to people who already believe. You teach them, right? And more on a scholastic level, right? <clears throat> Christians just deal with straight preaching, which is you can come in anywhere, have no belief in Christ, and they'll give you a word that'll make you feel good. That's the difference, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that their fear of the preaching and teaching of Christ was rooted in their own sinful self-interest. It was not in any desire to protect the people, brothers and sisters. They, weren't, they didn't care about the people learning. 
They just knew that this doctrine would take their rank from them. The same thing that pastors know today. That if what Israelites are coming out saying is true, then why do we need to go to Christian church on Sunday? Because if you can't tell me who, who the people are, you can't even tell me what day to go to church on, then why, why am I here again? See, they know this, brothers and sisters. They know that if people start to view it as the Bible, the doctrine of the Bible, there will be no need for them. Let's go to Acts 16. We just wanted to show you, brothers and sisters, that when you come with this doctrine, when you teach the true Christ, you become an enemy of the state. Acts 16 and 16. Listen to this closely. We're going to read 16 through 23, brothers and sisters. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So here it is. There's a sister, right, who has a spirit, and she deals with divination. So that's astrology and palm reading and all that stuff, right? Verse 17. The same followed Paul and us, crying, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Further proof. We say the Most High God. You see, the Most High, that's actually in the Bible. Okay? Wanted to point that out. Verse 18. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Yeshua Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Do you see that? How he just dealt with the spirit. He didn't even speak to the sister. He spoke to the spirit. See? So this is what warfare is, brothers and sisters. The same way Christ did to him. He spoke to Satan and pulled him out. Rebuked Satan. He didn't speak to Peter. He knew what was in Peter. So we want to point that out also, brothers and sisters. When you're dealing with a brother or a sister, someone dealing with spirits, it's really not them. You have to speak directly to the spirit, spirit to spirit, right? Paul did what? He pulled, he commanded in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Christ, to come out of her, and he came, right? Verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone. Read that again, brother. And when, the, her, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace Unto the rulers. When her master saw that they couldn't make any more money off of her. Why? Because she was healed. The spirit was gone. They did what? They brought them into the marketplace of the rulers, right? Verse 20. And brought them to the magistrate. Brought them to the authorities. Saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now hold on. Hold on, brothers and sisters. These brothers have now delivered a sister from a demon spirit, and they're saying we're troubling the city. You see that? Why? Because, brothers and sisters, these cities, Rome, <laughs> essentially America, they run off demon possession. It can only function when there's demon possession, right? Look at what they say. Verse 21. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive. Neither to observe being Roman. He's saying that these Jews teach customs that are unlawful for us to observe because we're Romans. Now, hold on. The, the, the Catholics are the authority of Christ's doctrine. They're the authority of Christian church. How is that so when the Bible is telling you back then they couldn't even follow 
Christ, right? It was uh, it was illegal. It was unlawful. It was against their legislation to follow the Bible. And now they're the authority of it? Read 20 and 21 one more time, please, brother. Acts 16, verse 20. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It's clear that they were well aware of the threat that Christ and the disciples posed economically. They understood that it would jeopardize their positions of power and their economics. See, so their presence alone would destabilize their economy. Same way today. Many of our people are no longer buying pork. Many of our people are no longer buying Christmas trees and Easter eggs. So they know if our people start teaching this truth, it will shake their whole economy upside down. See, this sister had two people making money off her demon possession. And once Paul, once Peter and the brothers healed her, they were angry. They were angry. In fact, they took them to the authorities to say, well, listen, get them up out of here. Okay. Because now we can't make money with these brothers bringing this doctrine, bringing the name of Christ. So in order for them to take away this spiritual threat, they had to absorb Christ's teachings. Being Romans. See, they knew they couldn't contend with it. So they said, you know what? We got to become the authority of it. And that way, once we're the authority of it, we can teach against it from within it. You see that, brothers and sisters? So now we're the authority of the church, right? Go to church on Sunday. In fact, matter of fact, eat some pork. Matter of fact, Christ didn't have a physical father. See? Do you see that, brothers and sisters? They became the authority of it just so they could dictate the doctrine. They couldn't do that if we thought they were enemies. We're just showing you that you become enemy of the state. Enemy of the state, brothers and sisters. When you bring forth this truth according to what's actually in the Bible. Let's go to the next chapter. Acts 17 and 1 through 8. Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Ap Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. Now, brothers and sisters, Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of uh, Macedonia. Verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that Christ, whom I preached unto you, is the Savior. Now look at this. In the synagogue, Paul is explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, right? Verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. See, so look at what's going on here, brothers and sisters. Verse 5. 
But the Jews, Jews which believed not, moved with envy. Moved with what? With envy. Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the ba the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Now look at this. What was the real reason for their accusation? Can you read 5 one more time, brother? Verse 5. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy. Moved with envy. See that? So Paul's success with the Gentiles within, and especially outside of the synagogue, ignited the Jews' jealousy. See, so this was jealousy. It was all about authority. This was all about pride. See? So what did they do? They broke into a brother, a, you know, a brother's house named Jason, thinking that he's he's hiding Paul, right? He's hiding, uh, you know, these believers of Christ. He's not there. So what happens in verse six? Verse six. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These have turned our world upside down. See, enemy of the state when you come with this truth, brothers and sisters. Verse 7. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decree of, of Caesar. All they do contrary to Caesar. See, so brothers and sisters, don't tell me that Christ said follow the government. Okay, this is what our people say. Follow the laws of the land. Read it again, brothers and sisters. Can you read verse 7, brethren? Verse 7. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Christ. See? So they stormed the house, but only Jason, but only found Jason and some other believers, right? You see that? So... According to the text, we're seeing that Paul and company had done what? Turned Satan's turf into a spiritual battleground. So our people, and I'm going to be clear, I'm, I'm not encouraging people to go break laws. As long as the law of the land coincides with the law of the Bible, I'll follow it. But at the moment that it does not, like homosexual marriage, right? Like, uh, you know, marijuana and, and all these other things that are legal now. I don't agree with that. I'm going to follow God over man. So our people have that slaves mentality where they believe God said, uh, follow the laws of the land. No, it, it, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible at all. In fact, our people was against the government. So I'm showing you what? These were the true rebels. See, a lot of people think they're rebelling. No, you're not. <laughs> you're on the side of the government. The rebellion comes from us, the believers of Christ. They were the actual rebellers against government authority. See? All the rest of these people were under the thumb of Caesar. Right? Looking for some breast milk. Looking to be fed by Caesar. Those who followed Christ rebelled against Caesar. To say, listen, we will overthrow you through Christ. We'll teach Christ's doctrine and heal in order for to destroy your kingdom. See? So we're the true rebels, brothers and sisters. We don't celebrate 4th of July. We don't celebrate Christmas. We don't eat pork. Okay? We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. See? We don't do anything they say. <laughs> we don't do anything they say. But guess what? 
You have to have the courage of your convictions, brothers and sisters. You have to have courage to be able to stand alone. That's what it's going to take. Can you read verse 8, brother? Acts 17 and 8. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Look at this. Our people, you know, troubling the rulers of the city. See, they troubled the rulers of the city because those were the ones in authority. What we're showing you, brothers and sisters, is that they are not the authority of us. Gentiles definitely are not the authority over us. And our people that's tap dancing and shucking and jiving for, you know, for the Gentiles as, as pastors, they are not the authority, brothers and sisters, over you. Christ is the authority. They are not the teachers. We are the teachers. You and I are the teachers, brothers and sisters. God's chosen people at never, at any time where there's Gentiles teaching Israelites. Never. Or there was never a time where Israelites who, who think they're Gentiles was teaching our people. So we have to come out of that, brothers and sisters. We don't need them to confirm that we're Israel. We don't need them to confirm anything. We're well past that stage where we need confirmation from you about who we are. Teach God's word the way you're hearing it today, brothers and sisters, and see what response you get. See what response you get, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Acts 18 now. Just next chapter, we'll read uh, 1 through 4. And then 11 through 16. We're just showing you that what? Teaching Christ's gospel did what? It makes you an enemy of the state. Acts 18 verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Athens, that's in Greeks, right? And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy. Come from where? Come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. What did Claudius do? Commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Luke began his account of Paul's work in Corinthians by doing what? Mentioning a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And then he tells you that our people was deported from Rome. <laughs> we see why. So we were being kicked out all over the place. Go look at that history because that was actually us being excommunicated out of a lot of these countries. Because once we came there, we brought Christ there. We brought healing there. See that? We took down strongholds. So our people was being put out everywhere they went. You see, brothers and sisters? That's in the Bible. We were exported. <laughs> we were excommunicated. We were deported, rather, right? Let's read that one more time. Verse 2. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife, wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to be departed from Rome and came unto them. So Luke noted that Priscilla and Aquila came to Corinth because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, brothers and sisters. Yet the Romans are the authority, right? Verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. For by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Every Sabbath? 
every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Where's Sunday worship at? See? This is Acts 18. I had a brother say, well, uh, you know, the new covenant didn't start until after Christ died. Okay, well, brother, this is after Christ died. Here, They were following the Sabbath. Right? They were following the Sabbath after Christ died. He went to the synagogue every Sabbath. And who was there? Jews and Gentiles. So don't give me this garbage that, you know, Gentiles can go on Sunday. See? Jump to verse... Jump to verse... Uh, let's jump to verse 11. Acts 18 and 11. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. Now look at this. Our people were looking to come against Paul now, right? And brought him to the judgment seat. Saying what? Saying, this fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. Don't tell me, brothers and sisters, that these brothers were not rebels. See, these were the bad boys right here, according to society, right? We teach God's law regardless of what the law is anywhere else so you will become the enemy it would be it would be disingenuous for brother and Corey, from bro, for brother Corey and I to bring forth this information and not let you know what the response will be if you try to disseminate this brothers and sisters you will become the enemy like we're seeing here okay can you read that again brother verse verse 13 saying this fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason with that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Look, brothers and sisters, we just wanted to show you what? We just wanted to show you that the truth makes you an enemy of the state. Okay, brothers and sisters? See, Christian, there's about 4.5 billion Christians, brothers and sisters. Now, Christ said it's a narrow path. So how is that possible? See, because Christianity, you can do anything. Nothing matters. See, everyone's equal. You can eat whatever you want, celebrate whatever you want. That's not Christ's truth, brothers and sisters. See? So if you're fitting in and everyone's doing it, you're on the wrong path, brothers and sisters. You're on the wrong path. Because why? The Bible is telling you when you bring forth truth, you become the enemy. If you're not the enemy, you haven't brought forth truth. Because why? Christ was killed for the truth. Christ was killed for the truth, brothers and sisters. So the, the the teachings of the Christ, of Christians that's widely accepted. Why, whose enemy are you? You're nobody's enemy. <laughs> you got Buddhists who are Christians, homosexuals who are Christians, all this. How is that? How is that? You have to re-examine your teachings because these Christian pastors have led us astray. Christ said, "Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ or Christians." And will deceive many. Those carrying that title, brothers and sisters, would be, you know, the main people of what? Distributing 
pagan ideology, pagan theology. It's the Christians that tell you Sunday worship. It's the Christians that tell you pork is okay. It's the Christians that tell you Christmas, even though the Bible clearly says don't do it. See, those are coming for Christians. That's not, that's not devil worshipers, right? That's not the atheists telling you to do this. These are the Christians. So our people have to back on up and re-examine Christianity again, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah 33 and 6, and we're going to end it here, brothers and sisters. Isaiah, the 33rd chapter, the 6th verse. Isaiah 33 and 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Brothers and sisters, education in this text seems to have a uh, primary importance in our lives. You see that knowledge and wisdom, when combined, give stability to the person wielding it. You see, brothers and sisters? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So the influence of applied wisdom and knowledge is stabilization. Brothers and sisters, your, your biblical training will be worth more than gold, according to the author, according to Isaiah, brothers and sisters. And this is key, because why? We're in Jacob's trouble, brothers and sisters. Your wisdom and knowledge is going to be what stabilizes you, brothers and sisters. See that? So today, brothers and sisters, we went into a myriad of scriptures. We showed you Christ. In his pre-existence. Right? So we, we wanted to show that what makes Christ special has nothing to do with his manner of birth. Because that's what the Christians taught us. That if you say Christ had a father, then you're disrespecting Christ. Well, hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. We showed you Christ before Matthew, the first chapter. Before Matthew, the second chapter, right? See? So Christians have to get out of that mindset that what makes Christ great was that he was born without a father. Number one, that's a lie. That's pagan. He had a father, but he was special even still because Romans 8 told us what? What did Romans 8 tell us? Through the seed, through the flesh, he was born of the sperm of David. But through the spirit, he was the son of God. So he had a father, but the spirit that was in him was the one from the beginning. See, the spirit that was in him was from the beginning, Genesis 1. But the flesh came from his father, Joseph, who was who? A son of David. David was his great, 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 great grandfather. Matthew, the second chapter, excuse me, Matthew, the first chapter, tell you this, brothers and sisters. So the title of today's lesson, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Subtitle was enemy of the state. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to, to re-examine everything that Brother Corey and I brought forth today in the spirit of the Most High, through the Holy Spirit, and apply it, brothers and sisters. I pray that this challenges what you believe, brothers and sisters. This challenges what you think concerning Christ. Because we've been taught a lie, brothers and sisters. 
You have to re-examine your, your ideology concerning the Messiah. Most people during Christ's time couldn't understand the Messiah. Here it is some 2,000 years later. Do you think it got better, brothers and sisters? So, brothers and sisters, please internalize what you learned today and understand, be prepared to become an enemy. Be okay with being the bad guy. See, most of our people don't have the courage to be the bad guy. They're trying to fit in. This is the wrong walk for somebody trying to fit in, brothers and sisters. You stand firm on what God's word says. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.